Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we are coming to you on the eve of the NFL action. We're talking about there's less than two weeks before the start of Arizona Cardinals football. And uh, here to break it all down, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. Joined by my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable. And we've got quite a bit of national news to get to at first. There's a lot of moving and shaking going on, um, not just in the uh, NFL world, but just in the world in general. I don't know about thriving, Blake, and it's good to join everybody here on the ROTV podcast, but... You know, we're slowly crawling our way to the start of the NFL season. I've, I need it now more than ever. Uh, and uh, I just kicked off my fantasy drafts over the weekend. So that kind of made it felt real. I don't know about you all out there, but we had pushed it back in both leagues as long as we could wait um, just to make sure that, you know, everything was going to start on time. If you remember, maybe like, you know, a month or six weeks ago, we were talking about the contingencies of do we push the season back? Oh, I think the season's going to start in October. No, it's actually going to start on time. And so I had to get situated with my keepers and two auction drafts, which it's a good feeling. And I have Kyler Murray in one of them. That's also a good feeling. But, I, you know, I'm super excited. Couldn't be more excited to cover, finally, real tangible football for the first time, Blake, since that Week 17 loss to the Rams last year. And we get to see many new faces for this Cardinal team that should be much improved. Now, what did change for the Arizona Cardinals is that while their line slightly at least moved up where it's closer, they're still ultimately uh, underdogs, which I think is interesting, John, because when you talk There we go. Yeah. Uh, their teams also do it in a way where their goal is to get people to ultimately place bets where they can collect money. So if you're talking about how the Cardinals' current odds are for that one, you, you can go a bit into some of that, John. It still, in some aspects, is disrespecting Arizona, I think, in that regard, because um, for what you and I have talked about, and especially with some of the San Francisco news we can get to here, they don't have a lot of wide receivers at the time. Their defense has taken a, a hit with a few guys leaving, and they're relying on you know, some rookies and other players to be able to step up. 
and we're talking about more of a neutral site type of game with a Cardinals team that rather than losing players has basically been adding them. The Cardinals are entering at least at this point right now. They have no significant injuries of note. Now we can get to the practice today. We had Larry Fitzgerald was sitting out, DeAndre Hopkins sitting out, uh, Kenyon Drake. There hasn't been any word on if he's still in a walking boot, but from what Kingsbury has implied, it seems very much like they're putting him uh, kind of like wrapping him up in bubble wrap before the season begins rather than having a meaningless injury. The only injury that we kind of are seeing today that they just had uh, uh, noticed was that Josh Jones was not at practice today. Uh, we'd heard at least a few days ago that he'd gotten hurt. We can tell at least for sure finally today they're able to mention that he was not practicing. Uh, we don't know the severity of the injury. The hope, obviously, is that he would have more time. But, uh, John, when we're talking about this week one that's upcoming, all of this offseason hype for the Arizona Cardinals, are, are we overcorrecting too much? Are we getting too excited about this Cardinals team to think that they could go in and give this 49ers a... Uh, maybe not a thrashing, but be able to go out and not only play a competitive football game, but potentially even beat the Niners uh, two Sundays from now. Yeah, I think the expectation, you know, every year you you think of the opener as a tone setter. And theoretically, depending on who you're playing, you, you want to be able to come out and make a statement. And I think the Cardinals right now, do I think they're being a little bit disrespected? I do. Uh, and if you don't know by now, the Niners are still a seven and a half point favorite. Yes, I get that the game is in San Francisco, but right now we're operating all on neutral fields outside of a, a quick flight from, from Phoenix to San Fran. There aren't going to be any fans in the stands. This is going to equate to the first real football either one of these teams has played since the Niners were in the Super Bowl. We don't have any preseason games. I think it's ludicrous to expect uh, a spread of that magnitude to hold, but that's why Vegas, the folks, the Sharks there are paid the big bucks. But I just think you mentioned it, Blake. The slew of injuries. No team, I think you could make an argument, has been hit harder with injuries this offseason. And the gluttony of talent that the San Francisco 49ers have lost since the end of last year. Listen, they were a sexy pick a year ago to be like a sneaky playoff team. And I think we both can agree they exceeded expectations, right? Kyle Shanahan established himself as a big-time head coach. But he's also an under-500 head coach before last season he had two straight seasons where they had two top five picks or two top seven picks the Arizona Cardinals had swept Kyle Shanahan in both the 2017 and 2018 season with Steve Wilkes and so yes last year they both played pretty competitive contests against the Cardinals Cardinals were fortunate unfortunate to lose both of those games but especially the latter half uh, excuse me the second game in San Francisco, Cardinals were up 16 to nothing. Definitely should have won that game. We're up in the fourth quarter. Defense just couldn't close it out. It was really the story of the season. But now you look at an Arizona team. We'll get to their additions, you know, a little bit, Blake. But we'll talk specifically about San Francisco. Debo Samuel, who emerged for them as their number one receiver, was a second-round pick of a year ago. Really promising rookie. Broke his foot. His foot's broken. He's coming back from that. He's still having, from what I've read, trouble pivoting and planting. He's not going to play week one. And it could be a while before he's 100%. Brandon Ayuk, their promising first rounder from Arizona State, who many of our listeners should know of, uh, pulled a hamstring. And he's week to week, could be out upwards of a month. Uh, I would not expect, even if he were to dress, to have much of an impact. Jalen Hurd, a third rounder from a year ago, out for the year. I believe he tore his ACL last year. I think he broke something else. He's never going to play it down for the Niners through his first two years. Those were their top three receivers coming into camp. 
theoretically none of them are going to play week one. Then they lost, or I, I guess they, they chose to lose, their best coming into last season, defensive lineman in DeForest Buckner. Buckner wanted $90 million. He got that from Indianapolis. They traded him away for the 13th overall pick, Javon Kinlaw, who we like. We think he's going to be a nice player. He's not going to be DeForest Buckner this year. He's sure as hell not going to be him week one. They let Emmanuel Sanders go, who was their big play receiver of the postseason. He's in New Orleans now. Fred Warner, their stud inside linebacker next to Quan Alexander, who, by the way, is still rehabbing from, uh, I, I believe, a scope in the offseason. Remember, he missed the majority of last season with an injury, a pectoral injury. Fred Warner is on the COVID-19 exempt list right now. He hasn't practiced in over a week. Could he come back for the game? Sure, but there's also a possibility he could be kept out. And he's probably going to come into the game if he does play with minimal practice time. Nick Bosa, who is injury prone to a T, fortunate to be a part of all 16 games last year, is not practicing right now. Neither is George Kittle. Bosa's, from what I can tell, his hamstring is a little bit more severe to Kittle. I would expect Kittle to, pr- to play. J.J. Nelson, they signed him off the street to be a big play receiver. I think he tore his ACL. Former Cardinal, he's out for the year. So you go through these names one at a time. And yes, I didn't mention Joe Staley, you know, impromptu retirement. They were able to bring in Trent Williams. By all accounts, Trent Williams looks fantastic. But still his first game for San Francisco, there could be some hiccups there. So I just think about the Niners have subtracted so much of what made them successful last year. We know this. This is a rookie league, but at the same time, it's not week one, a rookie league. They're going to have to implement a lot of new things with a lot of new players, whereas the Cardinals have continuity up and down their offensive line outside of Kelvin Beecham, which we think is an upgrade. Mason Cole has been in the system. He knows the system as the team's starting center. They added DeAndre Hopkins, who we both feel like is just biding his time he's going to play. Even if Kenyon Drake can't play, I have the utmost confidence Chase Edmonds can come out and run the football effectively. I wouldn't be concerned about that. I think if you're San Francisco and you come into this game brash, overconfident, I think it's a mistake. This is a team that saw Kyler Murray have a 90% or excuse me, a 90 passer rating in both instances a year ago. I would expect him to eclipse that again. San Francisco's defense, I don't want to say has been gutted, but certainly they've downgraded to where they were in 2019, which they were one of the best, if not the best units in all football. D Ford is in and out of practice. There are other defensive end who I would expect they tried to move in the offseason. I don't think he's going to be with them much longer. Armstead's a stud up front, but Sol- Solomon Thomas, they're trying to talk him up. He's been nothing but a disappointment since taking him second overall in 2017. So I think it's going to be a close game. I'm not predicting a Cardinal victory today. I might do that next week. But I, I think a seven and a half point spread for a team that came out of both of those games last year by the skin of their teeth, they've downgraded considerably. Neither of these teams have played. Kyler Murray looks phenomenal. We, I mean, yes, we think that Kyle Shanahan is superior coach to Cliff Kingsbury. The Cardinals will have the quarterback advantage in this game. They'll have the receiver advantage, even if you include Kittle. The Cardinals have a deeper, more promising receiving core with Fitzgerald, Hopkins, Kirk, and then throwing the likes of Isabella, Dan Arnold, those kind of players. Offensive line goes to San Francisco, and then we mentioned it, Blake, defensive line probably goes to San Francisco. But back seven right now, with the amount of injuries that they've had, especially if Fred Warner doesn't play, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So 
all in all, Blake, I, I just, I'm frustrated by the national narrative, but this is a hell of a statement. You come out week one, you make a statement to the NFC, you knock off the defending champions. I don't care how hurt they are. You only play 16 games. They all count big at the end of the year. I think Arizona's got a prime opportunity. Every day we get closer, we get more news that favors Arizona. They just knock on wood, need to stay healthy, and I think they have a hell of a shot to come out of week one with a W. And I think there's at some point you have to say, that's not good enough anymore. You have to be able to take that next step as a football team and a franchise to be able to win football games, not just be kind of the you know projected darling. Who, for the Cardinals being able to progress past the point of just being the next big thing. You need to become the big thing. And to me, I think that's where, not to say it's that any game uh, through this season at least is a must-win. All games, obviously, you could view in a must-win lens because it's, it's the NFL. There's 16 games and you're done. What I think that you want to look at specifically in week one is being able to make a name in the NFC considering the fact that it's the toughest division in football. The Niners are coming off of a Super Bowl. Obviously, there's some Super Bowl hangover. If you don't win that game, I think the question a lot of people are going to have is, okay, is this going to be a 7-9 and nine progress season for Arizona, but they're not able to win, put it away? That will bring up all sorts of you know, questions that we've seen for everything. I agree that this is going to be probably one of the most important games of the season as a tone setter. Um, again, if you can turn this season into a uh, season of being able to not just necessarily be a team that is pushing or making it like a, a good example you, you've given in the past, John, is that 2013 10-6 Cardinals team, that team did not come out of the gate fast. If they had picked up one more game potentially and won, they may have been the most dangerous out of all of those Cardinals teams that we saw in the playoffs. We were seeing how that team was working and moving. They were blowing teams out by the end of that uh, 2013 season. Um, that's one of those things where you don't want to look back and be able to have regrets. And unfortunately, in a lot of ways, it's kind of been what most Cardinals fans have been used to is, hey, this is great. We have this game we need to absolutely win, and you lose it. Or even in the 2016 season, uh, you end up seeing going to that 6-6 tie where you just could not put the game away. You had a chance to kind of get back into the season, get back into the NFC West. And you ended up coming up short, and that's what I think Cardinals fans don't want anymore. They want to be able to take and progress past that. I think this season is a huge step in far as being able to see, can we do that with this current regime? Can we do that with this current group of players? Can we do this with this current GM? Is, is the team being able to have that depth to move? Speaking of the GM, the biggest news that Cardinals related over the past two weeks, at least, as we kind of move on from... Uh, looking at the week one preview is uh, Buda Baker got a contract from the Arizona Cardinals. Not like it was unsurprising. I think it was more the timing that was surprising for people, given the fact that it happened before there was any type of DeAndre Hopkins extension. Uh, Cardinals officially make Buda the highest paid safety in NFL history. Four-year, $59 million contract extension, $14.75 million per year. It's higher than the 14 point, I think it's $14.5 million or so. That was, uh, I believe, was Eddie Jackson who had received that from the Bears. And when you're talking about this deal, there was questions at least uh, that I saw right from the get-go. There was 
about half of the feedback was, hey, this is a core player. You go out, you get this guy locked up. He's 24 years old. You recognize that there's going to be a huge boom in the safety market considering Jamal Adams is going to get a bigger deal. You're also talking about uh, another safety in Justin Simmons for the Denver Broncos is going to get that deal. They're going to also be expecting, now obviously COVID will have a say in how much this is in 2021, maybe 2022, but there's going to be a expansion of the cap with these new television deals and the new CBA. So a lot of people saying, hey, you get on this early, you set the market, it's going to look like a deal in a few years uh, compared to what the other safeties are getting as long as Buddha can, you know, progress, become maybe a top five, top eight safety in the league. The other side, John... There were people who were essentially bashing this deal, saying, hey, why the heck are you paying Buda Baker? This is a mistake. The dude has no interceptions in his NFL career. He is a fantastic tackler. But then there's questions about, can you just match and mix safeties? Because, you know, as we talked about before, the Cardinals had a uh, essentially star player and Tyron Matthew at the position. He ends up getting hurt. They just go out and draft Buda Baker, and he fills in almost no problem. There's kind of a lot of questions about this. Is this a deal at the Cardinals by making this, on uh, one hand at least, is this a good deal by Arizona? And on the second hand, is there going to be any type of uh, regret or maybe someone would say overpaying for Buda Baker to kind of tamper things down a bit? What are your thoughts, John, on the Baker contract situation? I think the only way that Cardinals regret this deal is if it has the similar kind of ripple effects that the Tyron Matthew deal had, and that would be if he can't stay healthy, which by all accounts, Buddha has played next to, if not every game since he was drafted in 2017. He's 24 years old this season. He's a multi-hybrid player, one of the best at his position. The Cardinals don't have enough young, good players to pay, so it kind of makes me chuckle when a lot of the uh, internal Cardinal fans like to criticize moves like this, but who are you going to pay? If you're not going to pay Buda Baker, because I guarantee you, had he hit the market, he would have made much more than this. And Blake, you mentioned it. Guys coming up to be paid at the safety position include Jamal Adams, who will eclipse Buda's deal, Mika Fitzpatrick, who will eclipse, eclipse Buda's deal. Up until recently, Derwin James, before poor guy tore his knee up, um, and so and he's been injury prone, whereas Buda has not been. So I I just think you reward your best players with extensions. That shows continuity around the league. It shows other players who may want to come play for you that you take care of your own. It shows draft picks that you take in future years that you have a chance to stick in this organization if you play up to your capabilities. Buddha has certainly done that. He was a Pro Bowl special team player in 2017. He's been a phenomenal safety both at the line of scrimmage and in the secondary for the past two years culminating listen you got to be pretty damn good to not have any picks this past year and still make a pro bowl as a safety everybody saw what he did with george kittle doing his best on on halloween night all of 510 200 pounds the cardinals aren't going to start paying him big money until 2003 2000 excuse me 2023 and 2024 his cap numbers that year just under 17 million and just under 18 million but we can only project as to what the cap's going to look like. Those amounts may seem like $10 million now. This year, Buddha's going to make, for his base salary at 24 years old, $3.7 million. That's his cap hit. Next year, he's going to make $7.7 million. That's standard, right? It's a little bit more than J.R. Sweezy at right guard. Then it's going to jump up to 14.7. Then, of course, the two uh, numbers I gave you on the former. So 
I think it's a phenomenal deal. I'm excited that they got this done. I think it shows the team that they reward players for productivity. It needed to get done. You mentioned the Hopkins deal. I don't think it sends the best message. As, as good as Hopkins is, that you pay a guy who's never played for you before you pay somebody like Buda Baker, who's younger, who's been with you, and has made a Pro Bowl recently in your uniform. I love DeAndre, but everything he's done up until this point has been with the Houston Texans. I think they're going to get a contract done, by the way, and he's going to be a Cardinal for the next you know, four to six years. But Buda was a baby when this team drafted him. Kime, it's probably his best draft pick. I mean, you could make an argument it's either Buda or Tyron that's, that's Kime's best draft pick. And Buda's still with the team, so I, I'd be more uh, inclined to go with Buda. Now, Kyler has certainly has a chance to eclipse that this year, and maybe he already has. But on the surface level, you get a two-time Pro Bowler in his first three years. You trade it up for him in the second round, and he just becomes a staple for you defensively. This team is going to rely on Buda Baker for the next decade. This, this is going to be a player that we talk about in the same vein, we hope, as a Patrick Peterson, as a Carlos Dansby, as a Darnold Dockett, as a Calais Campbell. You know, this is this is going to be somebody who you can sell in your programs, to your fan base, in the community. Second round pick, 36 overall, was an All-American at Washington, has come into the league and carried that over. He's a he's a winning player, was on a winning team in Washington, and this team has not struggled because of Buda Baker. It's struggled for many other reasons. And oh, by the way, he did have five interceptions in college, and he does have an interception in the Pro Bowl, Blake. So I, I think that that is coming. I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't have one this year. But you know what? His game is physicality. He deflects a lot of balls. He has 14 deflections <clears throat> through last season, four forced fumbles, three and a half sacks, led all safeties in tackles last year. He's got over 300 tackles in three years. He's a productivity machine. He jumps off the screen. He's an effort player. There's that clip that went viral of him going sideline to sideline. He's not somebody who just fills up a stat sheet with, you know, weightless numbers, numbers that don't mean anything, weightless numbers. So I think it's a phenomenal deal. Anybody who's stressing over it doesn't understand that this this league, inflation, how things progress, and goodness. Name me a player that the Cardinals are going to sacrifice pain because they're paying Buda Baker. You can't name them. If they take care of business and draft and develop well, you know who's going to be next? The Kylers, the Isaiah Simmons, the Byron Murphys. You know, those are the kind of players the Cardinals, they want to give them money because that means they're performing. If Kyler Murray's making Pro Bowls, the Cardinals are in the playoffs. Same thing with Isaiah Simmons. So we would less likely want to pay, you know, with all due respect, the Justin Pews and do slide overpays there. If you heard Steve Kime on his weekly radio hit this past week, or excuse me, yeah, last week, he said that because of everything that's going on with COVID-19, and I'll end my little rant here, there could be a scenario next year where you have to make tough decisions with the cap, and you could potentially only be paying one of two people. And I'm going to put vet minimums off to the side because they don't count against the cap, and you know we get those kind of players, kind of like Drake Kirkpatrick, right? So let's put them off to the side. You're going to have star players, your Hopkins, your Chandler Joneses, you know, your Fitz in their prime, your Kylers, guys that you pay star contract money to, your Buddhas, right? 
then you're going to have a group of your rookies that you're counting on, right? Your first, second, third round picks that you come in and you expect them on their rookie deals to contribute and be starters. Then that middle ground that's filled with the likes of J.R. Sweezy's, right? Solid players, Devon Canards. That group may not exist next year. Now, Kime didn't elaborate more than than that, but basically, if you're having to stay status quo and you're having inflation with these star contracts, the middle of your roster could suffer, at least in 2021. So this is a looking an eye out for that. The Cardinals need to draft and develop better. And goodness, you're not paying Buda Baker, Blake. Who the heck are you paying? The biggest thing I think with Arizona, and we talk about this all the time, the point of hitting on a draft pick is so that you can pay said player. We talked about how the Cardinals had not extended any first-round picks throughout their entire uh, history of Steve Kime. Buda is probably, like you said, maybe his best draft pick in a lot of ways. And what's fascinating is you can take a look at how the 2017 draft class went uh, came down for the Arizona Cardinals. You look at the order. He was selected 36. The Cardinals traded up with the Chicago Bears for him. Um, we're talking about how... You look at Kevin King was pick 33, pick 34 is Cam Robinson. Pick 35, the Seattle Seahawks, instead of taking the hometown Buda Baker and being able to kind of have their heir apparent to Earl, took Malik McDowell, who is now out of the league. Oh, you love to see it, don't you? He was out of the league. It was just one of those moves where you're just like, oh, okay. this is. It was essentially their own Robert Kimdichie move. Now they took him in the second round versus the first um, but it was considered kind of the one that got away for a ton of Seahawks fans. And uh, it's interesting with that 2017 year, like we talk about how with the likes of Hassan Reddick, it's like, oh, they let they let it get away with some quarterbacks. Even you look at the, uh, speaking of safeties, um, the other news that came down in the NFL this past week, one of the guys who got away for a lot of Cardinals fans was Derwin James in the 2018 draft when the Cardinals were not able to address their quarterback situation and decided to take Josh Rosen versus, you know, taking the likes of either a Lamar Jackson, which many had wondered about, or even just looking at the fact that they passed on a Minka Fitzpatrick, who's become a absolute stud for the Steelers, and then also passed on a Derwin James. James, uh, unfortunately, has a uh, six- to eight-month knee injury. I believe it's a meniscus tear. Uh, he's missing, essentially, his second NFL season in a row. He was injured last season. Uh, when he's on the field, he is one of the most talented safeties in the NFL. He's one of the few guys that you could probably say, given the size and the ability, he can essentially cover a wide receiver as a safety. Um, that's something, at least, that will be interesting to see as far as how it will work out for year-end awards with Buddha. Is he going to be able to get to back-to-back Pro Bowls, I think, is a question uh, that you can look at. It also shows that in terms of health, he's been able to stay on the field for snaps. He's basically been that player ever since um, he stepped onto the field for the Cardinals. And availability is one of the best attributes you can have as a prospect. The question many people had has always been in his coverage skills. Uh, he was a top 10 run defender uh, in per PFF. He also is actually the sixth best, I believe, safety as far as for pass rushes. He is a phenomenal blitzer. I think people can remember that Jimmy Garoppolo sack in the Niners game. Uh, you can remember also the tackle for loss he made in one of the running backs. The Cardinals' question with him has always been, he's got the ability to go sideline to sideline, his adjustment, it's always been questioned is, hey, is he going to be a guy who's maybe never going to be that guy in coverage? He's always going to be maybe a step late or um, not quite there. 
I think we did see a lot of improvement once he solidified more of his role on the back end where he was allowed to roam versus Jalen Thompson being kind of that last safety valve. He's played for four defensive coordinators in the past four years, so it's truly remarkable. What's also remarkable, John, is his career snaps by position for pro football focus. Uh, he's actually played more snaps at slot corner than any other spot. He's played 882 spots at slot corner, 700 at free safety, very similar to Tyron Matthew. He also played 460 snaps at linebacker. And this is, again, the 2018 season with Steve Wilkes. Essentially, they had no linebackers who could cover that year. You're talking about Josh Bynes was the best player, and he wasn't even a coverage linebacker. Hassan Reddick being your other linebacker starter, who was, I believe, benched later in the season. And Buda Baker being your nickel linebacker. He's had it rough throughout the past first four years. The Cardinals are banking on him not just being the same Buda Baker he's been, but becoming a better player than what he's been. And I think in that regard, John, when you're talking about this deal and this contract, if he can go out there and can say, hey, is Buda top 10 safety right now? Probably everyone can agree on that pretty easily. Like, you can say, hey, I may not like the coverage, but you can't deny how solid he is in the run game, the versatility. If he can move up into that top five range, and then you talk about four or five more safeties getting paid, I have a feeling that it'll be much more similar to the Chandler Jones deal than it would be looking back onto other types of past deals in the Cardinals where you're like, oh, yeah, you're just you're not paying for that production. The Jermaine Gresham deal seems to be the one that stands out the most to me. Well, and I think we also need to give Buddha a pass with regard to the surrounding talent he's had defensively that's just gone by the wayside. Let's let's disclude 2013, which was a transition year. 2018, 2019, defensive talent has been subpar to below average, to say the least, bottom tier in the NFL. Let's surround him with young, talented players like an Isaiah Simmons, we hope, like a Byron Murphy, who we're th- seeing or hearing good things about Blake. Um, let's improve the pass rush opposite Chandler Jones, which we, fingers crossed, Devon Kennard's going to be that kind of player. And then also think about, he's had three different defensive coordinators in three years with the Cardinals. He had James Betcher in 2017. Steve Wilkes was essentially his coordinator as the head coach with a defensive specialty in 2018. And then this past year, he had Vance Joseph. Those, this is the first time since college where he's had the same coordinator defensively for back-to-back years so I think when you find a young man who can overcome that kind of adversity I mean tell, tell me who the outstanding corners that the Cardinals have had to support him the outstanding complimentary safeties that the Cardinals have had since 2017 to support him they, they, he's been asked to do damn near everything and so I think in combination of personnel and coaching and he's still been able to be one of the best young safeties in the NFL. Pete Prisco came out and said recently of CBS Sports, he thinks he's the most talented and productive safety in the NFL. People want to talk about Jamal Adams as this quintessential god at the safety position, right? He was top five pick out of LSU. I love him. I think he's he's a great player, and we're going to see him a lot now that he's with the with the with the Seattle Seahawks. You know how many interceptions he has for his career? He's got two interceptions in the NFL. Uh, and more people view him as a box safety than Buda Baker. And he doesn't have the amount of tackles. Now, he's much more of a threat to sack the quarterback. He had six and a half sacks last year with the Jets, with it, which is just absurd. But he's got two interceptions in three years. He and Buda came out the same year in 2017. And yes, Jamal's been a pro bowler at the safety position each of the last two years. But it's kind of like... You're looking at it through a lens of 
Well, Jamal was taken higher. He's bigger, and so he's a better player. Well, in all actuality, Buddha's more diverse. Buddha's much more of an all-around safety, whereas Jamal is almost kind of thought of now as a hybrid linebacker, strong safety. Where he's, yeah, he's up in the line of scrimmage, he's doing quarterback hits, but he's not that. Everybody wants that rangy free safety, Earl Thomas at Reed. And I think maybe the best that we've seen just got hurt in Derwin James in the NFL. Minka Fitzpatrick certainly fits that criteria. But I think Buddha is somewhere in between a box safety and, you know, the free safety. He's just a really good player that the Cardinals are fortunate to have. We we got in the tip that he, you know, might have banged up his, his, his foot early in the offseason. Doesn't sound like that was the case. Certainly um, looks like he's going to be full speed for the for week one. And so I, I think we should all be fortunate that the Cardinals actually hit on somebody that they could give an extension to like this. Think about the last couple internal extensions that they've done for second and third rounders. Hasn't worked out too well. David Johnson flamed out. Tyron Matthew flamed out. They couldn't get an extension done with Marcus Golden. Some of these mid-rounders, John Brown went on to have success with another team. I think it's time to say, hey, we finally found somebody on day two that's going to stick around for the next prime of his of his career into his mid to late 20s. So I'm excited about it, Blake, and I'm excited to see what he can do with Vance Joseph in year two. We've got a... A lot to talk about as far as with the NFL when it comes to the news and the running back situation as well, uh, kind of pivoting from that. I think that we'll have to see how the season goes to talk about Patrick Peterson, but obviously with the age at 24, it's good to see. Uh, with DeAndre Hopkins, my guess right now, there's no new news we have on this. I would at least say that the fact of the matter is in the past, the Cardinals, when they had a deal that needed to get done, they always have been able to get it done. We're talking about with the Kurt Warner deal, even back to that point. Remember, there was a time where he was a free agent all those years ago, flirted with the Niners, and then the Cardinals came back and got the deal done. Uh, we're talking also about the David Johnson extension, the Larry Fitzgerald extension. The, the David Johnson one is the one I wanted to talk about, John, because we forget that that happened on Saturday night, the night before the Cardinals went out and played the now Washington football team. Uh, they lost 24-6, to but that was the whole question was, how is David Johnson's contract going to work? They did make him, you know, the highest paid running back. It was essentially a three-year deal. The idea, of course, being that running backs want more money, less years. Teams want an extra year. They were able to compromise in the middle on a four-year deal that was really a three-year deal. What's interesting, John, is that he didn't make it through, you know, two years of the deal. When we look at a lot of the other running backs that are out there in the market, I'm also looking at even a guy like a Leonard Fournette. He was recently released by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's basically on the open market now. Uh, he just was either expensive or did not fit. They are not wanting to pay him an extension. He did not work out for them. Uh, as far as the style and the play that he has, it's very unique. But because he's that old school, like, doesn't catch the ball, doesn't catch passes type of running back, you're not going to find a spot for him in a lot of places in the NFL unless you can be exceptional at that spot, and he just has not lived up to the expectation. This is a top 10, even I should say top 5 pick that was spent on a running back, and for what I've talked about in the past, I firmly believe that that pick was made over the Patrick Mahomes, over the likes of a Deshaun Watson, partially because it was running them at the time. Uh, Tom Coughlin, he had Mitchell Trubisky as his type of quarterback. You look at the list of quarterbacks in Jacksonville. Um, I think that there was some underlying 
issues, let's just put it that way, with Tom Coughlin viewing there being one true franchise quarterback in that draft. And if not, he drafted a running back to help support Blake Bortles. It turned disastrous. Now, that's kind of an indication of the running back position as a whole because it's not like Fournette is just awful or bad. It's just that his skill set is very, very limited to where the NFL is moving. And he's having to get paid like all these running backs are expecting to be paid. We just saw a four-year massive deal went down just this morning. Uh, We're recording here on a uh, Tuesday afternoon uh, with Joe Mixon. So when you're talking about the types of deals that the running backs are going for, he's got a four-year contract extension, $48 million. You're talking about, all right, $12 million a year for a running back, essentially under contract for five years. The uh, biggest contract in the NFL was Christian McCaffrey. Um, but then you're talking now about with Alan, uh, Alan, uh, Alvin Kamara and the Saints. He's like looking for a new deal. They're trying to negotiate. New Orleans is right now in a spot where if Drew Brees retires next year, they will be uh, having $20 million, at least, I think it's $22 million in dead money for next year with a shrinking cap. They're going to be underwater having to cut guys left and right, so they're kind of in this spot of where it's like, hey, we need to keep Kamara happy so we can make the Super Bowl run this year, but we don't have the money for a long-term extension. They said, hey, we're willing to trade him. Their offer that they're asking to trade him for is a first-round pick. Now, John... I know we've talked a lot about this, and you and I can say, talent-wise, Alva Kamara, you would say, oh, he should be totally worth a first-round pick. The problem is there just are not any running backs that are really worth any first-round pick because Alvin Kamara was a third-round pick. Get him on a cheap rookie deal throughout the other years and let someone else pay him. You draft another running back somewhere on day two who can usually end up being just as good, sometimes maybe not quite as special, but effective. The question I have, John, then, is when we apply this, does this mean that... We're going to be having the same conversation next year. Let's say Kenyon Drake goes off and has a 1,300-yard rushing season with, let's up it and say that he gets 500 receiving yards. It's not 2,000 total all-purpose yards. But let's say that he ends up being healthy. He's a bell cow. He's a you know top five even fantasy running back. He's, he's that player that he was at the end of the year last year. I, I've got some doubts that he'll be quite that good, but let's, let's assume and say he is. What are the Cardinals going to do in that situation? Because you and I, I think are on the same page. You want to go out and draft a running back in that aspect for that one. You can see guys as replaceable. And what does it say then about the state of the NFL that we're just watching these running backs, either they get signed to a massive deal and teams regret it, or teams just move on and they don't seem to have an issue. Because the Cardinals are going to have this same question next year, and we know that they've already been trying to negotiate and see about a long-term deal with Kenyon, and it's just not going to happen at this point. I think I I would put it at a 1% chance the Cardinals ever give Kenyon Drake a monster extension. I'm not going to delete any accounts or anything, but I will say from what we've seen from Kime in the past and how this team literally goes year to year with every every one of their backs, I, I thought the the more, more realistic scenario after this transition tag would be, okay, if you want to space it out over two years, give him two or three more guaranteed dollars, make the cap hit a little less this year, give you some more flexibility. But they didn't do that, and I think it's been interesting to hear Kingsbury talk up the likes of Chase Edmonds, like, They've got 1A and 1B in terms of starting running backs in the NFL. And, of course, Chase Edmonds performed exceptionally well in his one start last year against the Giants, going over for 120 yards, three touchdowns. Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, we mentioned this on a previous pod, they make running backs. It's one of the more advantageous positions to be in the NFL. It's a poor man's Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes type scenario. It's like what you get in New Orleans. The Cardinals can make running backs for the roster 
And I think that if let's let's hypothetically let's say that that Kenyon had that season you're talking about, top five running back in the league, all purpose, whatever. Uh, I'm not even sure if they if they franchise tag him. In all honesty, you look at a team like the Tennessee Titans, semi reluctant to play to pay Derrick Henry. They did eventually, but they tagged him initially, and they're dependent on them. Cardinals aren't dependent on any single player outside of Kyler Murray and maybe outside receivers, and they address that, and they're going to pay DeAndre Hopkins. I think the more likely scenario is you let Kenyon Drake walk, you get a comp pick for him, you let Chase Edmonds be your starter going into next season, but you also take a back relatively high in the draft, second, third round as the heir apparent. Chase Edmonds is on a four-year deal, not a free agent until after the 2021 season. You could always sign a veteran to come in and shake things up a little bit but I think this is Kenyon Drake's last year with the team I could be wrong they could franchise and they could say let's give Kenyon Drake 15 16 million for one season but do you really think that's going to happen even if he balls out in a year where the cap either stays the same or goes backwards I don't when you need depth you could be you could be needing two new offensive guards next year left and right you could need a new right tackle you need depth on the defensive line. Your secondary is not going to have any corners next year. You don't have any corners outside of Byron Murphy under contract next year. Peterson, Drake, or Patrick are free agents. So I, if you enjoy Kenyon Drake now, but I also, Blake, would not be surprised if this in, injury lingers for, for Cliff to pull the plug and just say, hey, we're going to roll with Chase right now. We're going to go with the hot hand. And I think Chase Edmonds is ready for it. So well, I think Kenyon's going to have a productive year. I'm not concerned about him in the slightest. I think this is just temporary. I do think what you're seeing now, Blake, with the spread offense, with the reliance on quarterbacks, being able to move, and the ability to have to pay other positions. Who's getting paid? Offensive tackles, right? We just saw Taylor Decker to get a big deal. Corners, pass rushers, quarterbacks. It goes to the age-old you know, saying that, what do you need to build a team? You need a quarterback. You need somebody to get after the quarterback. You need somebody to protect the quarterback. And then you need playmakers on the back end to intercept the quarterback, right? The running game is interchangeable. And I do also think, Blake, that they're going to allow Cliff Kingsbury to pick a back at some point in the draft that fits what he wants to do. In the same way that, you know, Sean Payton gets to pick Alvin Kamara every couple of years. I think they're going to go into the draft process next year and say, Cliff, give me three or four guys you like that can run the football. We already know, Blake, they were in on two or three backs during the draft process this past spring, they were really in on Zach Moss, who, by the way, you and I weren't huge fans of, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year out of Utah. But he's having a hell of a camp with the Buffalo Bills, and the Cardinals, I think, would have taken him had he been available after the Josh Jones pick. But I think he went shortly after before they were able to take him with their fourth. So they took Eno Benjamin. He sounds like he's having a good camp. We haven't even mentioned him. Steve Kime on his radio hit said that you know, has, has made big plays. He, he mentioned him unprompted. So that would lead me to believe that he's going to make the team. So I'm excited about this group of backs. I think it's multifaceted, talented. And I think that this, this group's going to produce alongside Kyler Murray utilizing his, his legs a little bit more than last year. But I think, I think this running back group is always going to be year to year. I think they'd love to hit on a mid-rounder that's a starter from day one, like you're seeing with some of these younger backs. I know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, was a, a late first, but he's starting from day one. I think the Cardinals could look to target somebody similar vein next year if they feel like there's this outstanding playmaking back that they can pair with Kyler Murray for four or five years. 
I think they do it. So I love Kenyon Drake, but I think this is it for him in a Cardinal uniform. Yeah, that's it's just it's not even Kenyon Drake's fault, unfortunately. Now again, you could look at the stats back and forth and see, hey, maybe he was beating up on weak run defenses. I mean, we've talked about the Steve Wilkes run defense in Arizona in 2018. And the Cardinals beat up with him running, I think it was about four touchdowns or so in that Browns game. The the truth, at least in the matter, and this is kind of where you can look around, I was even going to mention this, is it's just it's a position that is very limited in the NFL now. It used to be it was the most athletic player on the field, your franchise player. Now it's a passing league. Uh, even the likes of Le'Veon Bell, like he's being held out of practice. Uh, some wonder if it's injury. Some wonder or looking at Frank Gore getting snaps going, hey, is this like... Is Le'Veon just done straight out? Like, he's just, he's, is he done? And a lot of us, they're into the second year of that deal after he held up for an entire season, ends up with signing with the Jets for a huge contract. Um, and you got to wonder, at least also with the Jets making a lot of the trades and other items that they have, uh, it seems like they're not maybe a tanking franchise, but they're at least this franchise that seems like they're just about ready to kind of move on from the Sam Darnold phase. If they do get a quarterback in the, uh, 2021 draft, um, or I should say, excuse me, I don't see that they wouldn't target a quarterback in the 2021 draft if they end up with, say, a top three draft pick again. Uh, the other team that we can talk on, John, that I wanted to before we move to a little bit more camp talk is uh, Yannick Ngakwe finally had a trade partner that happened. He goes to the Minnesota Vikings for the cost of a 2021 second round pick. Vikings have to figure out how they're going to be able to pay him. They, uh, in some aspects, I think, are eventually going to be looking at um, that Kirk Cousins deal and trying to move to, hey, we've got a defensive-heavy team. We've got plenty of weapons, at least. They added Justin Jefferson this last offseason. Did send away Stephon Diggs. They didn't have to pay him in that regard. But the question, at least, John, you and I talked about this, was was the Cardinals trading potentially a future second for an additional pass rusher, one of those over-the-top kind of moves? Because I, I was more looking at 2021 for that type of a move just because, you know, the fear is, hey, you make that trade and all of a sudden you go out and have like a 8-8 eight and eight season with all this talent. You're like, holy cow, like we, we need to be able to add in young talent and we need to be able to now pay to keep some of these guys with all of the cap shrinkage after the pandemic and everything uh, assuming that you know we can move on from the pandemic it's some degree more of more normalcy next fall is this kind of an area of a mistake because i think you and i were kind of a little bit different on some of that because yannick he's not an elite pass rusher but he's still a dang good pass rusher so what are your thoughts on some of this and then we can get into some of the kind of cards camp news that we have as we kind of close out then yeah, you know how I felt about this, Blake. I would have made this deal every which way on Friday. I think that he is a difference maker. I think he's underutilized or was in Jacksonville. Uh, by all accounts, everything that I read, this is a star in the making. That, of course, with Mike Zimmer opposite Danielle Hellner, he's going to be a phenomenal player. He's on a one-year deal, so the Cardinals could, in fact, go after him next offseason should he become available. But I think this is the kind of move that would have put this team over the top. Um, Minnesota is solidifying what many feel like is already a playoff level roster. And I, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, the Cardinals don't really know what they have opposite Chandler Jones from a, a pass rushing standpoint. So, um, you know, I'm happy for Vikings fans. They get a heck of a player for only a second round pick. And I actually think he's a superior player to that of D Ford and D Ford got a second from San Francisco. So I don't like to use that as kind of the litmus test, but what I will say is Yannick and Dockway with Mike Zimmer, is going to put up monster numbers. He's motivated. He took less money. And listen, at the end of the day, 
if you're in a toxic situation, which by all accounts, that Jacksonville situation with Tom Coughlin, the, all the talent that they had that they you know ran out of town from Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, these guys are going to winning programs. The LA Rams for the last couple of years is a winning program. Baltimore winning program. I mean, they're identifying these kind of players to get them out. Nick Foles got out of there and has a chance to win the job in Chicago. So I I am I'm disappointed. Not necessarily for this move per se, because you can make an argument, can he play outside linebacker? Is he a four three defensive end? But just the Cardinals lack of aggressiveness addressing their pass rush. And I, I hate to every time we do this pod bang on Devon Kennard, but until I see him be an impact on the edge, I'm only gonna view him as a guy who's stiff and is gonna have right, right around six, seven sacks a little bit better version of what we got from Cassius Marsh a year ago. I think when this defense can really be humming is when you find that impact pass rusher opposite Jones. But like you mentioned, Blake, maybe they didn't want to put themselves in a position next offseason where they have to pay yet another player and they could go the route of the draft, which we've seen first-round edge rushers come in and play well. We've also seen that that spot bust relatively high lately. So Chandler's going to do be doing another extension. You would have had to play Yannick. You're, you're going to have to play probably Patrick Peterson. You just paid Buda. You know, your defensive line is probably going to need another starter next next free agency offseason period. You're probably going to need another safety or another corner to address. So I get that. But I, I do think that when you're looking at the 2020 season, and I think this is kind of an undervalued point that not a lot of people make, and I get Kyler controls the majority of this, especially offensively. But, you know, what if this team is – you know, clicking on all cylinders offensively and, and is still underperforming as a team. They're the, you know, the Tampa Bay Bucks of a year ago or Atlanta for so many years where they're on fire on offense thanks to, you know, really strong quarterback player offensive personnel, but their defense can't get it together. And what is that going to say about Cliff Kingsbury, his ability to win as a head coach? Why not equip him with just a bona fide proven pass rusher, add significant proven pieces defensively that helps push this team over the top? You're going to tell me if they hadn't gotten Yannick Ndakwe, if they had have gotten Yannick Ndakwe, he couldn't come in and make this team a playoff team. They'd have the best bookend pass rushers. That includes San Francisco in the division, which includes really high-level quarterback play. So uh, it's it's frustrating. I hope I'm sitting here after the first month of the season eating my words with Devon Kennard, but I just that can separate you, especially when you have question marks about your ability to cover on the back end. The Cardinals have issues at corner and you know free safety. I just think it it was a missed opportunity, but Blake, we'll see what happens. I know that they'll probably address it a year from now. Absolutely, and uh, John, like we've said, the issue I guess is maybe not even the fact of um, trading for and adding a talent like Ngakwe. It is really coming down to paying that because, like you said, with two pass rushers that have to pay at the same time. Uh, for Arizona, I think you can probably pull that off if you're able to get Chandler under contract. And if you're able to, let's say, let a certain cornerback named Patrick Peterson walk, that's where I think it becomes a lot more difficult. And so uh, you're going to be looking, I think, at least at some aspect of the draft just because you're going to be saying, hey, we want to pay Chandler Jones again, get him on that lifetime deal for the cards. 
bring in kind of the heir apparent if you can as possible. And then once Chandler's kind of aged out, you're able to just make a seamless transition. Um, I, I think that's the hope ultimately, and that's what's made it hard is, you know, the Cardinals do have, like you said, a window. If you bring him in for a deal, let him walk, get a comp pick back for him. Hey, you go from a second to a third, maybe you end up getting a much better team. That's something I think we'll have to find out what the Cardinals look like when they go into this year, and perhaps it ends up being a bit different if there's a trade deadline coming up and a, dis, a disgruntled pass rusher. Uh, we saw that happen even with previous pass rushers who were cut, and I don't think the pass rush is going to be as much of a problem this year as it was last year. We've already talked a bit about Chandler moving into a more natural position for him. We've talked about having more of the uh, blitzes as far as being able to have much better coverage on the back end to be able to deal with those. Uh, that, at least that's the expectation. Um, but again, it does come down to that there's opportun there's an opportunity the Cardinals are going to have, similar to the DeAndre Hopkins trade, of to trade a second-round pick for a stud-proven player, not having to go through and say, hey, we spent a second on like a Troy Nicholas, and that did not work out as intended. Uh, I think the question is going to be, will the Cardinals take uh, up on that deal? And that's going to really come down to um, Steve Kime being able to seize the moment. Uh, let's kind of finish up with going and getting back to the topic, of course, with the Arizona Cardinals training camp, which is uh, kind of in the last week or so of training camp. You had, you had the red and white practice that took place on uh, last Friday. The only notable injury, and this is kind of like a, uh, a, a I guess you could say, uh, in practice injury that we saw was Ken uh, Kendall Bryce, uh, the veteran safety, looked like he got rolled up on. He was carted off. They said it doesn't seem to be as serious as it was before, which is good news. Still does not guarantee that he's going to make the team. But given the new practice squad rules this year, John, I think that he very well likely, if they uh, decide they don't want to keep an extra safety or if they feel they have other special teamers in play. Uh, he might be one of those guys that you look at as a contributor for this year, especially if the likes of a Jalen Thompson go down. The one that did come out today was, uh, and this will be kind of as we kick off with, uh, before we get to an agree-disagree kind of a little rapid fire, uh, Josh Jones is not practicing today. Uh, we've heard at least that he was hurt. He did not play in the red and white practice. Uh, Kingsbury has not spoken on it yet, um, so that's kind of part of the there's rules where you can't report on the areas or stuff. You can only kind of note who's practicing, who's not. Uh, we finally gotten to the point, at least, where Jones is uh, hurt. Do you have concern that this could be a Hakeem Butler 2.0 type situation or a DJ Humphreys type situation where he ends up getting injured, misses some time to develop, and is not quite ready to take over next year? I mean, of course it's a concern because it's Cliff Kingsbury, and Cliff is very close to the vest with all injuries. Um, he's not like Arians. Arians would tell us it's not looking good or we'll wait to see. He'd be transparent. As a head coach, Cliff is not that. Uh, Cliff downplayed the Marcus Gilbert injury up until we got notification that Marcus Gilbert was going to miss the whole year. Um, and like you mentioned, the Hakeem Butler situation was, was very much the same. Now, the good news is the Cardinals aren't relying on Josh Jones this year, but you do want him around to take those uh, camp reps, to take the in-season reps, to eventually showcase what they saw out of Houston, and that's a right tackle of the future or left tackle of the future, whatever you know floats your boat. So I, it would be disappointing if it was significant enough to end his season because can you afford to to have him on IR designated to return if he's not, in fact, a starter. Who knows? Depends on what else they encounter from the injury bug. But uh, I do think that until Cliff comes out and just dis, dis, um, dis straight up, or Josh Jones says, like Kenyon Drake says, no big deal with my walking boot, Hopkins looks fine in all the videos we see, 
Until we hear from Josh Jones, I think we unfortunately got to assume all options are on the table. Now, the good news is, you know, he was never carted off camp practice. You know, we didn't see anything like that. We didn't hear of anything like that. Um, so it may just be, let's hold him out. But but again, if it, if, if it was minor, it would lead me to believe, well, why not just release it? He's not an option, you would think, right now to start in place of a Kelvin Beecham or even a Justin Murray. So, I you know, I don't want to put on my my conspiracy theory had here, Blake, but until Cliff dispels it and we see him back at camp, uh, I think there's always some cause for concern. You just can't trust Cliff, man. He's a sneaky guy. <laughs> uh, he's very different from Bruce Arians when it comes to media uh, media relations, that's for sure. Very, very different in that regard. Uh, let's go and play something we haven't done before, which is uh, kind of, this will be the last one. This is some of the more important news, so thank you guys who've listened up to this point because this will get into uh, again, there's not the ability to really truly report on a lot of things in camp. Uh, we can always give at least different feelings and stuff. So we're going to go and do a version of uh, what I'll call agree-disagree. Kind of make a statement, bring up a topic, and then we'll go from what we're aware of and say whether we agree or disagree with that statement. And the first one, at least, is a pretty simple one. It's just uh, agree or disagree. I'm concerned about Kenyon, Fitzgerald, and Hopkins missing Cardinals practice. John, agree or disagree? Disagree. Uh, I think that we're going to see a lack of DeAndre Hopkins practicing because that's part of who he is. And I think if Fitzgerald at his age, that makes sense. And with Kenyon, the question that came up was, is he in a walking boot? And a lot of fantasy experts have kind of felt that they wanted to drop him down a few pegs. I'm here to say, hey, don't don't drop him down a few pegs, at least just if you're concerned about the foot. If it is any type of concern overall, that may lead into the next question, which, um, John, is the Cardinals will keep... Um, more than three running backs this year. Agree or disagree? Disagree. Disagree. I, I kind of lean with you here, too. I know that, that Jonathan Ward is a player who's a running back who can return kicks. Um, that's something, at least, that's always been interesting. The fact of the matter, though, is, is that when you talk about Eno can return kicks, I believe Chase Edmonds had some experience with it in college. You always have Christian Kirk on your roster. Um, I don't believe that Kenyon's going to be hurt enough where they're going to have, oh, we need to hold on to a fourth running back. But with the practice squad rules this year, you can call someone up, I think, very quickly if Kenyon is going to be unavailable. I think the Cardinals have their three running backs. I think that they end up making an additional um, uh, an additional cor- uh, corner, I think, could be available instead, given some of the other parts of the position. Speaking of corner, with Dre Kirkpatrick coming in, um, agree or disagree? Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick will be the number two corner for the Arizona Cardinals. Disagree. We have heard, by all accounts, that Byron Murphy has shown exceptional progress at the number two corner spot, and that even Drake Kirkpatrick has been playing a little bit in the slot. Now, that doesn't mean Byron's never going to return to the slot, but I'm going to say disagree. I think Byron Murphy takes that next step this year. I don't know if it's enough confidence for the team to part ways with Peterson after the year, but I do think he showcases why he was the 33rd overall pick. I still expect good things from Drake Kirkpatrick, though. Right, and uh, it was important to note, because we had this question when he came in, Kirkpatrick played in the slot when he was with Mike Zimmer in, uh, not, sorry, Mike Zimmer. Um, before with Mike Zimmer and his defense with Vance Joseph was a part of in Cincy, he played in the slot in that role. So that's what I think was interesting was that there's maybe more familiarity. We also know Buddha is a slot player as well. It'll be something to be able to watch. Uh, here's one. Cliff Kingsbury today talked about how when he was asked about the backup quarterback situation, 
between uh, Brett Hundley and the team's offseason signing that paid quite a bit of guaranteed money, actually, to Chris Straveler. Uh, he said, hey, it's still kind of up in the air. We're still working through that. So agree or disagree, uh, Chris Straveler, not Brett Hundley, will be the backup quarterback this season. Uh, disagree. I think Brett Hundley's the backup. Straveler's active. Stradler's a part of the 53. He's got some packages offensively. But I think until we see him against NFL competition, I think it would be unwise to make him the backup. I think Hundley did enough last year to showcase that he at least deserves it to start this year. Yeah, that seems to make a a lot of sense. Now, this one's going to be an interesting one, I think, at least. Um, Agree or disagree? Uh, Andy Isabella plays at least, uh, this is again, at least a quarter of what the offensive snaps would be throughout the year. So you have all your offensive snaps, all the players, and for some players on offense play every single snap, you'd assume obviously that your center or uh, your quarterback, unless there's you know a, a knee or an injury or something, God forbid, would play all of those different snaps. Uh, Christian Kirk uh, was out with injuries. Gary Fitzgerald played you know, pretty much a lot of snaps last year. The question is, will Andy Isabella play more than a quarter of the snaps on offense this year for the Cardinals? Agree or disagree? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I think I think he's going to play more than last year. I mean, how could he not? But we've heard good things about Keyshawn Johnson taking a lot of snaps as that fourth wide receiver. I think Dan Arnold is going to play a factor in the slot, mixing it up at a little bit of the tight end receiver hybrid. You know, Fitzgerald's not going to come off the field for Andy Isabella. Kirk, I think, has solidified himself as the you know primary opposite target to Hopkins. So, unfortunately for Andy, he just didn't show enough last year. Yes, he's gotten some praise, but until we see it on the field, I'd be tempted to say no. I just like Keyshawn Johnson more as a player. Uh, Andy, to me, catches with his body. I don't think he's physical enough. Yes, he's got elite speed, but you know I never liked that pick to begin with, Blake. You know that. And so until he proves it to me, and I hope that he does, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and say no. He's going to be underwhelming second round pick. Yeah, that that'll be something to be able to look at and find out. I, I don't believe he's going to play 25 percent either. I think Larry Fitzgerald is kind of in that spot. I do think he'll get more snaps than last year, but how many? That's something that I don't believe it's going to be a 25 percent. It may not even be a 15 percent, but I do believe it's going to be a larger role than it was last year. Uh, another agree or disagree. The Cardinals are going to not play any, like, as far as they'll play occasional, like for some aspects, but the amount of 10 personnel the Cardinals will play, similar to how they finished the season last year, will decrease drastically, and Cliff Kingsbury is just kind of moved on to this 11-12 personnel mode. Agree or disagree, John? I would probably agree just because, again, I, I wonder, I'm not going to say he's going to scrap it entirely. I think he's got better personnel to run it this year, certainly than last year. But I think they liked the dynamic of being able to run the football. And it certainly limited the hits they had on Kyler Murray. Maybe if you feel more confident in what you see from Kelvin Beecham, maybe four to six weeks into the season, you can open it up a little bit more. But I think this offense was at its best when they were running the football effectively, using the RPOs and mixing in the tight end and Dan Arnold is going to be a factor and you got to have him on the field so I'm going to say they're not going to scrap it entirely but I, I don't think it's it's never going to be their primary source of of offensive production Blake yeah it's I'm I'm very curious as to this John because I, on some level I think I would say almost a split we're not agree or disagree I think it's more of when he came out and played that 10 personnel last year they didn't have the personnel for it he just kind of was like hey this is the offense that we want to run 
Um, what is very, very different, of course, is that you did not have a DeAndre Hopkins last year. Straight up, you did not have a DeAndre Hopkins. True. So, and that result, at least, the question then comes down to what are you going to do as far as for um, playing? And what I think is interesting, you look at last year, the Cardinals played most snaps in 11 personnel. They had 331 snaps per uh, footballoutsiders.com in 10 personnel with four wide receivers or more. The next team that had uh, that many snaps was 85 for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who had an air raid quarterback in Gardner Minshew, just didn't have an air raid coach. So that means that the Cardinals essentially played uh, versus the next uh, uh, the next NFL team uh, four times as much, 10 personnel. Now, obviously, they shifted away a lot from that at the end of the season. So or I kind of say is I don't think that Cliff is ever going to fully go away from the, the from the 10 personnel. I think there's a part of that that is in him. And we've seen at least the ability to run stuff like four verts. I think that it will look different, though. Uh, I think you'll see Keyshawn Johnson be one of those guys who comes in on the outside to move Christian Kirk into the slot. But I don't believe it's going to be at nearly the clip that we were seeing from them a year ago. I think the 11 personnel, you've got one tight end, I think is a lot. I think the Cardinals, two tight ends um, that they saw, they ran, I think, 267 or so times. They ran two tight end personnel. I think that number jumps up into the 300s because of the likes of you've got a Max Williams and you've got a Dan Arnold. You could then even split Dan Arnold out for that one and use him as a wide receiver in some plays. Like imagine if you're a team that is able to run the football in 12 personnel, pick up you know a five-yard gain with Kenyon Drake right up the middle, and then you're able to split out where Dan Arnold suddenly takes over and moves as your outside wide receiver. Christian Kirk's in the slot, Fitzgerald's in the slot, DeAndre Hopkins is there, and you still have Max Williams blocking. Then you've, you've got a 12 personnel look with the two tight ends, but he kind of just shifted into almost a kind of a hybrid version for that, and then you still have your running back in Kenyon Drake who could catch the ball as well. I think that what we see, John, is that we'll see a lot more 12 personnel this year. Um, to the point where it's probably going to be run as much of, if not more, than for uh, wide receivers. Uh, agree or disagree? Isaiah Simmons plays more than 50% of the snaps on defense. Oh, my God. If this is disagree, then you need to fire who's ever running the defense. Uh, it's 100% agree. He should play 90% of the snaps. He should rarely ever leave the field. He's their fastest player Um outside of maybe Andy Isabella on the team. Certainly defensively, there's nobody faster than him. He looks phenomenal in, in all drills. I mean, if it, if it comes down to it, he shouldn't play over Devon, or he, sh he should play over Devon Kennard. He should play over Devondre Campbell. He should play over, and I love Jalen Thompson. He should play over Jalen Thompson. He should never leave the field. He should be on the field as much as he can, as much as he can handle it. 50%, I mean, then you, then you need to start talking about there's a bigger issue in place. So, Highly, highly disagree. He needs to be on the field 90-plus, Blake. Yeah, I, I I, think that we'll see what goes on. I think what changes is maybe he doesn't play as much to some of the starts in some base, but there is, at least from what we know, there is going to be areas and packages for him. I think the big question will be, will there be a moments where you want to keep Isaiah Simmons on the field and potentially take a Devon Kennard off? Because... Like we've mentioned, at least, as far as blitzing goes, you've got a Buda Baker who can rush off the edge. You've got Simmons who can rush off the edge. Simmons can also cover your tight ends. I think that when it comes down to that one, I think the Cardinals are going to have to put Simmons onto the field just because of the fact that you can't just allow and have um, the new linebacker. You can't put Jordan Hicks on a linebacker full-time. You can't put um, Devondre Campbell on a linebacker full-time. 
I think that you're going to be able to see that there's going to be packages for Isaiah Simmons where it's going to be very hard to take him off of the field. I'll just be curious to see who will come off. I could see it being a rotation that starts off where he doesn't end up playing 90% of the stats to begin with, but once you kind of hit a comfort level of maybe a few weeks in or maybe even everyone points to that week eight kind of uh, light bulb going on, maybe suddenly that ends up changing and then he ends up being a perpetual guy through the end of the season so i would agree i think 50 percent i think is there the question at least like you said john is is it going to be higher than 50 percent of the snaps uh, i think that's the question to be able to find out i think we would both agree with that it's just a question of how high is that ceiling uh, we've got two at least letter left over in the roster decisions after this big one this is going to be an interesting one john because uh with dan arnold Agree or disagree, Dan Arnold will hit the following statistics. Uh, 35 catches or more, 500 yards or more, and five to six touchdowns or more. Agree or disagree? Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to agree with two-thirds of that. I think he's going to hit the catches and the touchdowns, the yards. It's just going to be hard to come by because of the options that they have. If, if you missed it, Seth Cox of our uh, parent website, revengeofthebirds.com, did a breakdown. Go check that out. I think he projected him for between maybe 250, 300 yards. I would be tempted to say just a little bit more than that. I think if he comes in right around 400 yards, uh, the touchdowns to me is where it counts because this team had no problem going 20 to 20. It was the red zone efficiency that was so poor last year. Finding a big body receiver like a Dan Arnold to come in, be aggressive, get that, those one-on-one -on -one jump balls, I think is going to be imperative for this team. And so I'm, I'm less concerned with the yards. Uh, the touchdowns, though, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't hit that. And Peter Schrager probably a, an hour ago released his top 10 players, breakout players for this year. He's got Dan Arnold on it. He's doubled and tripled down on that. So if you want to say over 500 yards, I'm not going to fight you on it because that would essentially mean he is their fourth receiver. You're, you're pushing the Keyshawns, the Isabels, the Hakeem Butlers, the Trent Sherfields off to the side, and you're saying behind – you know Fitzgerald and maybe coinciding with Fitzgerald is is this big former wide receiver converted tight end that's going to have 500 yards I'm not ready to go that far yet but I, I would be surprised if he doesn't have a handful of touchdowns yeah for me and this is this will be interesting because I would say this if you told me what was going to be Christian Kirk's statistics this year or what his impact would be, I would say agree. And what's hard with Christian is he's had injuries his first two years. He's gotten uh, – it's kind of a brunt of that one. He's kind of finally being able to take over as a number two this year, maybe even a number three depending on how Fitzgerald goes in his pursuit of Jerry Rice. Uh, Kirk is a guy who had 43 catches for 600 yards as a rookie and then 70 catches for 700 uh, in his second year, he's only ever had six touchdowns in his career, three touchdowns for each season. Last year, all three touchdowns came in the same game. Uh, I really don't know what to make of him at this point in his career. The hope when he came in was that you'd be able to see him fill in that typical Golden Tate. He's never had that inside slot role. I think for me, I would always say I disagree. And part of the reason why, and I'll say this, if, if Arnold does hit those measurables, like, you know, throw a party because those are exactly almost the numbers that you need for a top 15 tight end in the NFL for the season. You look at it's about 500 yards, it's about over 30 catches, and it's probably about four or five touchdowns. That's a top 15 season. When you get into the 600, 700-yard ranges, that's when you're talking about your top 10 tight end seasons for those. So, like, like you, John, I agree. The only way that I see Dan Arnold hits those numbers 
as if he has to take it away from someone. You're not taking it away from Hopkins. I don't think you're going to take it away from Larry Fitzgerald unless he hits a wall. And by all accounts, he's not even close to that yet is what it seems like as far as a hard drop. I think he would have to take that away from Christian Kirk. I don't know if I see that at this point. So I would say I disagree. I would say also too, Blake, think of it last year, David Johnson was an effective pass catcher for this team, even though he didn't rush the football particularly well. And he did have four receiving touchdowns. That's non-existent now. I love Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds. They're not the receiver that David Johnson was. And really, they weren't prioritized outside of the screen game as receivers. Whereas David Johnson was out out of the backfield, downfield. I think you can almost take a lot of his yard yardage and certainly his touchdowns of a year ago and replicate that with, with Dan Arnold. Something to think about. Yeah, I, I think that's very reasonable. Uh, all right, now we've got the last uh, two questions that we have here, the roster-related. First one, uh, we've talked a bit about Jace Whitaker has been turning heads in camp as well as Hawaii wide receiver Joe, Joe Ward. Agree or disagree? Both Whitaker and Ward make the Cardinals' 53-man roster this year. Agree or disagree? Disagree. I don't think JoJo Ward, even though he, we've heard he's returning kicks, I don't think he makes the, the roster because the receiver group is too deep. I think, you know, gun to their head, you're probably going to keep a Hakeem Butler over JoJo Ward just because of where he was drafted last year, maybe try to get him into a game. They've got a stretch receiver who's got speed in Isabella. What they don't have are big X and Y receivers like a Butler uh, outside of a Hopkins. So I think they'd be more prone to, to keep one of their own that they've drafted, whereas uh, Whitaker, I think, has a bright future with this team. I certainly think he makes the team, but I don't think both make the team. Yeah, I think that the uh, – I don't know if both of them there, because of the practice squad rules and ability to project, I would disagree and say I don't know if both that you're able to there to keep on the roster. I think that's the question there. Uh, I'll, I'll be very interested, at least, to be able to see, because the uh, uh, the likes, at least, of Jace Whitaker, a lot of people are liking him, especially as kind of a backup slot corner. The Cardinals did have a uh, news article. They did release uh, several players, and included uh, Air Force cornerback Zane Lewis. Uh, he was, I believe, claimed, unless I'm mistaken, by the Jets. Uh, I, I would have to see. It was either him or there was another Cardinals player, at least. I have to look up and see right now for that one for who was released. But... Uh, it does show a lot that they essentially chose Whitaker over him. He's the guy who's been impressive. They also released tight end Ryan Becker, O-line Steven Gonzalez, uh, Adam Schuler, who was on the defensive line, and cornerback B.W. Webb was also released. Uh, they're keeping Ken Crawley, it looks like, over him. Uh, last question, John. This is the one. Do the Cardinals keep six wide receivers this year? Agree or disagree? Oh, absolutely. They, they keep at least six. Um, and they're going to have tough decisions to make, and I couldn't tell you who outside of you know, the top three to four are going to make it, but I think special teams will have a big part in it. But I, I definitely think they keep at least six, um, and we could see them supplement from the running backs group to the receiver group because I don't think they're going to dress more than three backs, and who knows, they could, they could make you know, Eno inactive on game day. I, I don't know. So I think they'll keep at least six. Yeah, I think that they'll probably have Eno and just well, he's at least a, a guy who could he's having to learn some special teams. I think the better question that I think of it now is do the Cardinals keep six wide receivers and is Hakeem Butler one of those six? Because I think that that's where I think it might get a little shaky because, John, we've talked about this. Hakeem Butler did not play special teams at all in college. He has not been like a primary special teams player. He did go for it with the Cardinals. It's not like he's sitting on the sidelines when they're running drills. 
But it does come down to a question of, is he a guy who's going to be then put in the roster and then able to be relied on? Because I, I think I'm probably split 50-50 on that one. I don't know if I could agree or disagree with that. To me, it's like saying, yes, six wide receivers, I think you're set there. You've got four players who are there who you have to have in four wide receiver sets. You're going to have to have um, a guy at least who's going to be able to play special teams with that one, who's in addition to Isabella or Keyshawn, so obviously you're keeping five. The, the question then, of course, is, is Butler one of those six if he doesn't play special teams? And I, I don't know about that. I, I really don't know about that, John. I would like to see what he can do before they outright cut him, but they watch him every day, and they may have seen enough. He did not have a good camp last year. There was talk of him being cut last year. I don't know if... They would have had the the guts to go through with it or not, just make him inactive every week. But if he gets cut, Blake, he's going to get picked up. He's going to get claimed. He doesn't make hardly any money. Teams need receivers, and I think they know that. So I I think he's just not what they have. They they have slot receivers. How many slot receivers outside of Hopkins do they have? You know, in a perfect world, Kirk's probably a slot receiver, but out of necessity, you need him to play on the outside, and he's capable for the most part. But they thought they could hit diamond in the rough with with Hakeem Butler and up until this point he has been underwhelming and so and we we literally we've seen one camp highlight of him kind of jumping over a player and that's been it so I'm anxious to see what he can do I would love to see him play week one but again Blake they're so deep at receiver now they've got options and we probably think they're going to address this group next year too so if they're going to make a move they they're probably going to make it now I would probably lean that they don't keep him, although I, of course, want to see him play with the team. Yeah, like you said, Keyshawn Johnson playing outside and he being mentioned by Kingsbury and other areas, that's, I think, the biggest, for me, the biggest story that's going to be left after the Dan Arnold situation and the DeAndre Hopkins contract situation will be to monitor Hakeem Butler making this Cardinals roster. And that will wrap it up here for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, you can find all of our other content. I've got a uh, kind of game plan for Steve Keim from 2020 to 2022. It's kind of broke down where some of the roster are for some of the players to pay, guys to pass on, uh, positions to draft. Uh, that should be up at least for you guys by tomorrow morning. Uh, this podcast, uh, well, at least through the end of the week, I think we've got, I know some other content that's going up. Uh, this podcast will also be available there on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, you'll be able to find our other articles there. You can follow me on Twitter at Blake Murphy seven. You can follow our podcast at ROTB pod on Twitter. John, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, of course they can find me as always here on the ROTB podcast, as well as revengeofthebirds.com. Blake and I are very active on Twitter. I am at, of course, at Johnny Touchdown. And then a quick plug, I'm doing post-game recap Periscope shows after every Cardinal game, every game this year, immediately following. Hop on a Periscope. I'll be on there. I'm sure Blake will be tuning in, chatting away. Uh, Just looking for a, a nice community where we can get together and talk about what we just saw. And so I know a lot of our listeners are active on Twitter, so come give us a follow. And uh, my DMs are always open, so come give me a shout. Disagree.